Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Good morning. Welcome to Silverdale Baptist Church. It's so awesome to see all of you here worshiping with us today. Um, I'd like to welcome all of you here at Abani Oaks campus. I'd like to also welcome those of you at our Creekside service, our North Udawa campus, St. Elmo, and all of you worshiping online. If I haven't had a chance to meet you personally, I'm Tony Wallace, sir. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege today to share with you God's Word. So this is what I encourage you to do. Go and take your Bibles and open up the New Testament to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians 6, if you've got a smartphone and a Bible app on it, you can open that app to 1 Corinthians 6 as well. And then do this, take out these Bible study outlines that we provide for you. We give you these so you can follow along and take notes as we study God's Word together. As you probably know, we are working our way chapter by chapter through the book of 1 Corinthians. And the title of the series is Victory in Chaos because the Corinthian church was surrounded by a lot of chaos, and you and I, were surrounded in a lot of chaos as well. But we are now in a part of 1 Corinthians that has a lot of adult themes. And so that's why today's message is rated PG-13, okay? And you may be here like, what, what? you guys rate your messages? Yes, we do, because um, it's gonna have some adult content. So if your child is 12 or younger, it may be wise to get them out into the children's area. Um, 13 and older are probably gonna be fine. In fact, you know, they're probably gonna be able to answer some of the questions you may have from them, okay? Uh, <clears throat> here's a guy I read a story about this um, granddaughter who had her grandmother's driver's license. And she was studying it, looked at it and says, Granny, it says you were born in 1956. And she goes, yes, that's true. And it says here, you weigh 150 pounds? Yes, that's true as well. And Granny, it says you made an F in sex? (laughs) Yeah, no, that's not true. Well, sometimes whenever we think about, you know, this topic of sex, I think that sometimes the church has failed. Why? because we just, we don't want to talk about it, right? I mean, the Bible talks about it, but we don't really want to talk about it very much. I mean, God has given us this amazing gift of sexuality that he's given us to us for a marriage bond and relationship. And yet, you know, we are bombarded by our culture that says, this is the ideology. Uh, this, is, this is what you've got to believe about sex. And this is how you should be allowed to express it. And all these different kinds of things. And so many times as a church, we're silent. But the Bible is not silent. The Bible tells it like it is, and that's where we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, again, let me set this up for you. 
As I've said before, the Corinthian church is surrounded by a very sex-crazed culture and society. In Corinth, you had this temple, the temple of Epaphrodite. That's the goddess of sex. And so you had a thousand temple prostitutes from that temple every day that would come and help you worship, okay? And so think about it. The the population of Corinth was 30,000. And so that means on the streets, one out of 30 people you would meet would be a prostitute from that temple. Think about that. That is a lot of sexual perversion going on. It was common. It was part of the culture, right? I mean, husbands would say to their wives, hey, I'm going to the temple. Me and the boys, we're going to go worship and have sex tonight. Okay, sweetheart, see you later. I mean, it's that the kind of casual, that kind of mindset when it came to sexuality. And so that's what the culture looked like, and that was being able to be permeated into the church itself. And so the Apostle Paul confronts it. And so he starts off in this passage with a really strong warning. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning verse 9. He says this, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, no greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And so Paul's giving this list of sins, and though it includes a number of different sins, he has three different ways that we may have sexual perversion. And he's saying, hey, don't deceive yourself. Don't think that this is acceptable whenever it's not. And so what the Apostle Paul is going to do in this passage, he's going to confront the reason why we are susceptible to sexual sin. And I want you to jot it down. Number one, first of all, let's talk about the lies about sex. Did you know that our culture lies to you about sexuality? We are bombarded with lies constantly. And, it, and what's interesting, the very same lies that they were fed in the first century, the same lies that we hear today. And so what Paul's going to do in this passage is he's going to say, okay, here's some common slogans that I hear in the culture, and then he's going to contradict that slogan with a truth, okay? It would be like this. In our culture today, you've probably heard this before, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? You've heard that before, Right? And now, is it true what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? No, but that's what the slogan is of our culture. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Probably Paul would contradict that by saying, yes, but your regrets and venereal disease will last forever. Okay? And so here's the slogan, and then he will counter it with truth. And so what was the first lie of their culture and ours? Number one is this. Jot this down. First of all, it's my freedom. It's my freedom. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do sexually. I'm going to do what I want to do. You know what? You're not the boss of me. And besides, I'm free in Jesus Christ. Isn't that what you taught me, Paul? And so Paul says that. Look Look at some of the things that they were saying to him. Verse 12, this is their lie. Everything's permissible for me. Here's this contradiction, but not everything is beneficial. Again, they come with their line or their slogan, everything's permissible for me. But Paul says, but I will not be mastered by anything. And so you go, where did this philosophy or mindset come from? Well, it may have come from the gospel itself. You go, in what way? Well, Paul came and he taught them, what? That you are completely forgiven. Whenever you come to Jesus Christ, he forgives you. He forgives all your past, all your present, all your future. You're completely forgiven. 
And so some people are like, oh, well, if I'm completely forgiven, then guess what? I can just live any way I want to, right? Or some people have this, right? They'll say, well, you said that we're free in Jesus Christ now and we're no longer under the law. And sure enough, Paul did teach that, that you and I, we are not made righteous to God trying to keep the law. It's not, that's just religion. We only are made righteous before God through faith in Jesus Christ. Look at how Paul said this in Romans 10. Paul said this, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so some people may have taken these Christian teachings and they're stretching them. And Paul's saying, hey, just because you think that you're free and you know what, everything is permissible for you, guess what? He's gonna contradict it. Look at it again. He says, but not everything is beneficial. Everything's permissible for me, Paul says, but I will not be mastered by anything. I mean, we know this to be true, right? I mean, think about it. Just because I have an urge doesn't mean I should give into it, right? I mean, just because I have a thought that says, hey, my body sends a, you know, a message to my mind, I'd like to eat 12 donuts. And I've had that thought before, okay? <laughs> but just because I have that thought doesn't mean it's a good idea to go eat 12 donuts. Or I'm driving down the road and somebody cuts me off and the thought comes to my mind, chase them down and run them off the road. You go, you've had those thoughts? I've had those thoughts before, okay? And just because I have those thoughts, it's not a good idea to chase somebody down and run them off the road, right? Paul says, no, if you give into your urges and they start to master you and control you, you're no longer free. You're now a slave to your urges, right? And so the first lie is, it's my freedom. Paul's saying, you think you're free? You're not free at all. You're being mastered by this stuff. Second lie of our culture is this, jot this down. It's just physical. It's just physical. It's just biology. It's just my urges. I'm just giving into my urges. God created me this way. Notice how Paul says this in the next, next phrase. Here's their lie. This is their slogan. Food is for the stomach and stomach's for the food. Now, follow their rationale. They're basically saying this. Look, God's the one that created me with all the organs that I have in my body. Just like I got a stomach, right? God gave me my stomach. And God created the stomach for digestion of food. So food for the stomach, stomach for the food. That's the way God created me, right? So I need to eat because that's the way God created me to. And they just take that and they just apply it to the sexual organs. Well, you know what? God's given me these desires. He's given me these urges. Since God created me this way, therefore I'm going to live it out, right? And, and Paul says, no, that's not true. In fact, check it out. Look at what he says. He says this. However, the body is not for sexual morality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. I mean, think of it like this. I mean, I, um, I grew up on a farm and we had several female dogs. And anytime one of those female dogs would come into heat, you'd have these male dogs that would be coming from miles around to chase her around. And for a couple of days on the farm, these male dogs are chasing our female dogs around, right? You go, get out of here, you crazy mutts, right? But what are they doing? They're just acting like dogs. And so a lot of people, they have this mindset, well, this is how God's created me. He's given me these urges. Therefore, I need to, what, you know, feed my thirst. Let me just tell you something. You're not a dog. You're not a dog. You're created. You're stamped with the image of God on you. There's difference. 
In fact, what Paul's doing is he's having to wrestle with a philosophy of their culture, a Greek philosophy like Plato. He he taught of what's known as dualism. You go, what is that? That means that your body and your soul, they're separate. And and so you have your body, but it's going to die. Your soul's going to live forever. And so what you do with your body is really not that big a deal. As long as you have a pure heart, then guess what? That's all that matters. And so you can have sex, whatever you want to with your body. It absolutely doesn't connect you with your soul at all. And Paul's saying that's an absolute lie. No, you are one. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your body and your soul, they are absolutely connected together. What you do with your body connects you um, spiritually as well. I mean, but yet that's not the philosophy. And our philosophy every day and age today is, you know what? I can have all these sexual encounters and it's no big deal. I mean, sort of like that Katy Perry song. I'm not gonna sing it. I don't even know your name. It doesn't matter. You're just my experimental game. It's just human nature, right? We're just a bunch of dogs. It's just human nature. And guess what? God doesn't really care, right, about who you sleep with. I mean, love is love. I mean, God just wants me happy. No, God wants you holy, okay? And so those are some of the lies of our culture. And so we accept those lies and we give in and we think it's no big deal, but it is a big deal. And so then Paul says, okay, those are some of the lies. Now let's look at the truth. Jot that down. What is the truth about sex? And so what the apostle Paul's gonna do, he's gonna say, okay, these are some of the lies that you have, but here is the truth. Are you just your physical urges? Is that all you are? Or just, you know, some animal? Is that all you are? And so, no. So what Paul does is he gives us two biblical truths about our sexuality. Number one is this. First of all, sex is spiritual. Sex is spiritual. What you do with your body sexually affects your relationship with God Almighty. Check it out. Look at how Paul says this in verse 13. He says, again, The body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. See the connection? Don't you know that your bodies are part of Christ's body? If you're a child of God, you're part of Christ's body. So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For the scripture says the two will become one flesh. He's quoting from Genesis 2. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Do you see the spiritual connection of your body? And and the fact is, is that if you're a Christian and you have the spirit of Jesus living inside of you and you then participate in some kind of sexual sin, you are including Jesus in that sexual sin. That's what the apostle Paul is saying here. And so there is very much a connection between what you do physically and sexually and your soul. Now, let's be honest. We know this to be true. I mean, if we're just really honest with ourselves, we know this is true. You go, in what way? Well, think about it. Of all the physical abuse that somebody can endure, why is it that rape is the hardest to overcome by a victim? Why? Why is that? Because we know there's something more that's going on here. I mean, why is it of all the abuse Why is it that sexually abusing a child is harder to overcome as an adult than any other kind of abuse? Why is that? 
If this is just physical and there's really no spiritual or emotional connection going on here, then why is it that adultery is so hard to overcome? Right? I mean, why is it that, you know what, that our greatest regrets are sexual? Because there is a connection between you emotionally and your soul and what you do physically. There was an article that came out in the Atlantic magazine by Helen Lewis. She's a feminist, and she wrote a really interesting article a year or so back with an incredible title. Look at it. Where is our paradise of guilt-free sex? And what she does in this article, she basically says, you know what, in the 60s, it was the sexual revolution in America, and we were promised as women that, okay, now we're going to be able to free, be free just like men, and it's just going to be utopia for us, right? And it was a bunch of false promises, she said. She says, based on all the studies, all the reports, it's actually worse. She said this, quote, it's worse for women. It makes us more open to abuse. There's more filled with dissatisfaction and guilt and regret. Her conclusion, sex has all kinds of physical and emotional ramifications. The Apostle Paul could say, I tried to tell you that 2,000 years ago, right? It's true. What you do physically is connected to you spiritually. And so what the Apostle Paul does, he gives an example of this. He says, okay, you have sex with a prostitute. Check it out. Look at what he says. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? Now, you think, okay, you have this, you know, this one-night stand with a prostitute. I mean, a total stranger. There's no commitment. There's no connection to her. It's, it's just, it's completely just physical, right? I mean, goodness gracious, there's, there can't be any connection. I'll probably never see this girl again. And yet the Apostle Paul says, no, even in that kind of encounter, there is a bond that's been created between the two of you. And so what we do sexually does affect us spiritually, but then there's a second truth that Paul lays out for us, and it's this, jot this down. Sex reflects our intimacy with Christ. Marriage and our sexual relationships reflect or don't reflect our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, this is some of the most incredible truths that I'm gonna give you today. I hope you'll grasp them. Look at how Paul says this in verse 15. He says, don't you know that your bodies are part of Christ's body? Okay, they're talking to Christians here. So should I take part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. But anyone joined to the Lord, look at it, is one spirit with him. Now, so many times in churches, you've heard us say this, that Christianity is not religion. Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ, with God, right? You've heard that before. And what are we saying? We're saying that, you know what? It's just not a bunch of do's and don'ts. No, it's walking with Jesus Christ. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And your relationship with Jesus Christ can be just as intimate and real as a marriage relationship. That's what the Bible teaches. Your relationship with Jesus Christ can be that real. Why? Because you are now one with Christ. Paul says a very similar idea in the book of Ephesians. He's talking about marriage and a marriage relationship, and he spends half the chapter talking about it. And then he concludes in this way. Look at it in Ephesians chapter 5. He writes this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's exactly the same quotation he had earlier. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. He said, you know what? 
This mystery of marriage is a very profound thing, but you need to understand, it's just a picture of something bigger. What is that? It's Christ and the church. It's your relationship with Jesus Christ. I learned this from Pastor J.D. Greer, an incredible comparison between marriage and our salvation. In fact, let me, most of us are familiar with marriage, and so let me just explain the, the comparison between the two. I mean, this is what happened when you get married, right? You, you, you come to an altar, right? You make vows, you make a commitment. I'm gonna love you, I'm gonna you know, be faithful to you till death do us part, right? You make this commitment. And then once you make that commitment, what happens? You, you have suddenly shared assets. Everything that belongs to him now belongs to you. All the debts that you may have now belong to your partner. You suddenly, you have each other's assets. And then what happens? Well, you have a new family name that you take on. And then typically, you have an outward sign. In our culture, we exchange rings, right? And then you have a celebration meal. And then after the meal, you go on your honeymoon and you have the intimacy and you know, culmination of the sexual relationship. And in that intimacy, it often produces life, children, right? Now, that's a marriage relationship. We all understand that. But did you know that that is exactly what your salvation looks like as well? You go, in what way? Well, what happens? You get saved, right? You, you come to an altar. You say, I do to Jesus. Jesus, I surrender all. From this day forward, I choose to follow you, Jesus, right? And then what happens? You got shared assets. Jesus takes on all your debts and all your sins and all your shame and guilt, and he shares with you all of his righteousness and love and joy. Thank you, Jesus, right? I think we got the better deal out of this. And then we get a new family name. What's that? You're now called Christian. And then what do you do? You have an outward sign. What is that? It's baptism. And then you have a celebration meal. What is that? It is communion. And then you have intimacy. What is that? The Holy Spirit of God comes to take up residence within you. And in that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, he produces a new life. Okay? Do you see what's going on here? And so this is a complete parallel with our relationship with God. But it's not just that. It's also the complementary nature of the sex. It is male and female. Right? It's not, it's, you know, a union of identicals. Think of this. Jesus Christ is fully man, but also fully God. We're just fully human, right? And so we're similar, but we're different. That's the way God has designed creation to be. I mean, you look at Genesis 1, the creation story. What do you have there? You have opposites coming together, and they become good. Day and night, Heaven and earth, land and sea. And then the sixth day, what is that? Male and female. And whenever God culminates all this together, it's all for a purpose, to point us to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our groom. He is the husband. He is the life giver to us. We are the bride of Jesus Christ. And that is why homosexual marriage is so against an affront to Almighty God. When it's done, God says, no, this destroys my image. This is not how I've designed it to be, okay? And so you need to understand, the sexual relationship points, at all points to Jesus Christ. This is a very spiritual activity that we're a part of here. So you go, okay, 
But we live in a very sex-crazed society. How are we going to overcome this? Well, that's the final thing. And I want you to see this on your outline. Let's talk about the solution to sexual sin. What is the solution to sexual sin? I mean, how are we going to overcome it? We're, we're bombarded all the time. How, how, we live in a culture that lies to us all the time. How are we going to overcome it? Well, Paul gives us four steps, and I want you to jot it on your outline. Number one is first is you got to flee sexual sin. You've got to flee sexual sin. Notice how Paul says this. Verse 18, he says, flee sexual immorality. You may go, no, I'm going to fight it. You're going to lose. I'm going to suppress it. You can't. I'm going to overcome it. You won't. The only way that you're going to get past sexual temptation, you've got to run from it. You've got to flee from it. That's the only way. That is the biblical solution. You remember in the Old Testament, you had this guy named Joseph, godly man, right? Good looking guy. He was a slave in Potiphar's household. Potiphar's wife pursues him every day. Joseph, you're so good looking. Why don't we have sex together? He says, no, 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 no. One day she grabs him and says, lie with me. My husband's gone. What did Joseph do? Did he debate with her? Did he talk with her? No, he literally left his coat in her hands and ran away. Flee sexual morality. Contrast that with King David. King David was in his palace, looked down, sees Bathsheba bathing. He keeps looking, keeps looking. What does he do? Next thing you know, he has an affair with her and commits adultery. Now, King David was described as a man after God's own heart. Half the Psalms were written by this man. I don't care how godly you think you are, godly man or godly woman, you cannot overcome sexual temptation on your own. You got to run from it. You got to flee from it. We're not strong enough to hang around with it. And so how do you overcome it? Well, the very first thing we got to do in our culture is you got to flee pornography. I mean, folks, this is an epidemic in our culture. We, We have so much porn that is just available to us right here on our phones. Just a step away, right? I mean, and did you know that people in America look at porn more than they shop on Amazon, go on net, uh, Netflix, follow Twitter combined? D- did you know that there's more money spent on porn than on the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball combined? This is a multi-billion dollar industry that Satan has tapped into all for one purpose, to thwart you, to destroy you, to bring you into captivity. You've got to decide. You've got to say, you know what? If I've got to overcome this stuff, I've got to take it seriously. Let, Let me talk to the parents. Your kids have no business with smartphones with no filters on them. Don't you dare allow them to be alone in their room with a smartphone with no filter on it. That's terrible parenting. You are setting them up for absolute disaster. Satan will destroy their lives. You go, but it's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be hard. I know it is, but you've got to do it. Jesus, whenever he talked about sexual temptation, what did he do? He said this, if your eye, right eye offends you, pluck it out. You go, what? Jesus said that? Absolutely. Why? Because he knows this thing will destroy you. And what you do sexually affects your relationship with Almighty God. You've got to take this thing seriously. You've got to say, okay, I've got to get rid of this stuff. Listen to me. Jesus is worth it. Flee sexual immorality. 
Second thing he tells us to do is this. Jot this down. Run to Jesus. You got to run to Jesus, right? Anytime that you stop something, you got to start something else. Anytime you run from something, you got to run to something else. And so we're to flee sexual morality. That means we flee to Jesus. Look at it, verse 19. Paul says this, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you're not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You know what he's saying there? He's saying that Jesus Christ on the cross, he purchased you. You now belong to Jesus Christ. And what you've got to do is you've got to choose that you're going to flee from sexual morality, but you're going to run to Jesus Christ. And how is it that that's going to help? He's going to fill you with his spirit. You are now the temple of Almighty God. The spirit of Almighty God lives inside of you. And because of that, he will empower you to do what you can't do in your own strength. Now, the Bible says this over and over again. Let me give you a few passages. The prophet Zechariah says it this way. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You are not going to overcome this in your own strength. You can't. Look at how it's written in 1 John. Greater is he who's in you, that's the Holy Spirit, than he who's in the world. One of my, you know, life verses is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Folks, I can't live this life. Christ has to live the life through me. And so how do you happen? Well, look at what Paul says in Philippians. I can do all things. How? Through Christ who gives me strength. And so let me explain how this works. You have a sexual temptation. You don't play with it. You don't rationalize it. You immediately get out of there. You run from it. And what do you do? You run to Jesus. You, you, you put this phone, get it out of your sight, turn the computer off, whatever it may be. And then what do you do? You run to Jesus. How? In prayer. You start talking to him in praise. You start singing to him and you keep talking to Jesus and you keep singing to Jesus until the temptation is gone. That's what it means. Flee sexual temptation, run to Jesus. And then what do you do? Well, third thing is this, jot this down. You gotta make a choice to honor God with your body. To honor God with your body. Why? Because you are now the temple of God's Holy Spirit. So you need to honor him. Look at how Paul puts this. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? So what? So glorify God with your body. And so right now, I'm looking at, if you're a child of God and you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you, I'm looking at the temple of Almighty God. That's you. You are the temple of Almighty God. So act like it, live like it. And in fact, do this. Turn to the person next to you and just say, I'm looking at God's temple. Do that right now. I'm looking at God's temple. I'm looking at God's temple. That's you, folks. And if that's true, then we need to be living our lives in such a way that we represent God well in this world. I mean, you've probably seen churches and cathedrals that get abandoned and run down, sort of like this. It was once a beautiful cathedral. Then it got abandoned and now it's just falling apart. That's the way a lot of Christian lives are. They're not representing Jesus Christ very well, but you are God's temple. You are God's representative in the world. You are to honor God with your body. And that should affect just about everything you do. It should affect the way you dress. It should affect the way you eat and exercise. I mean, think about it. Satan wants you to destroy God's temple, right? Maybe by overeating, maybe by, you know, some eating disorder like anorexia. 
Some of you, you're, you're cutting yourself. What is that? That is Satan trying to destroy the image and the temple of Almighty God. Do you see that you're at war? You are God's temple. Make a choice. Okay, I want to honor God with my body. But there's a final truth that Paul tells us we've got to believe, and it's this. We've got to remember your cleansing in Christ. You've got to remember your cleansing in Christ. Because I know that some of you right now, you're, you're struggling. You may feel absolutely defeated. You may go, you know, pastor, I feel like, you know, I've made so many mistakes in the past and my sexual rap street, you know, sheet is a mile long. But I've got good news for you. It doesn't have to stay that way. In fact, I passed over a verse just so I could encourage you with it right now. Let's look again how this, this passage starts off. Verse nine, Paul says this, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. Those sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with males will inherit God's kingdom. Okay, pretty straightforward, right? But look at the next verse. I love this verse. And some of you used to be like that. See that past tense? That's what you used to be like. That, that means that in the Corinthian church, there were former homosexuals, there were former adulterers, there were former sexual perverts. There, it was all there in the church. That's who you used to be. That's not who you are anymore. Now, our culture, they try to play this identity kind of politics. They'll do this thing where this is your identity. And you go, well, I can't help myself. This is just who I am. That is not who you are. This is who you are. You're in Jesus Christ, and if you understand who you are in Jesus Christ, that's all that matters. That's what changes us. You go, well, how does that change us? But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You may be here and you go, Pastor, I got all this spiritual baggage of my past. Good news, you can be washed right? God washes us as white as snow. He forgives us, casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. Well, well, well pastor, I have all these hangups and all these addictions and all these things. Listen to me. You can now be sanctified. You go, what does that mean? That means set apart by God. God has set you apart. I mean, it, God has great plans for you. Don't let Satan, you know, hijack the plans of God for you. And also, you're justified. What does that mean? God looks at you just as if you've never sinned. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you, no matter what, your sexual past, I'm telling you, there is hope found in Jesus Christ. There is power found in Jesus Christ. So remember, you're cleansing. But there's one final group that I, I just want to address briefly. That is, if you're here today and you struggle with same-sex attraction and you're like, Pastor, I know I want to follow Jesus, but these urges that I have are completely opposite of what the Bible teaches. And I just don't know if I can control it. Well, I just want to encourage you, you can. You can't do it on your own. You're going to need the Lord's help and strength through this. If you struggle with same-sex attraction, I want to get you this book. You just reach out to me. I'll get this book to you. This is written as is, is God Anti-Gay. It's written by a man who has struggled with same-sex attraction. He's a pastor, incredibly biblical, but incredibly grace-filled. It tells you how to experience power in Jesus Christ. If you are a friend, listen, we'll reach out. We'll get this to you. Listen, if you're struggling with any kind of sexual sin or temptation, you don't have to struggle with it alone. 
listen, let I me mean, just take the pressure off just for a second. Because you may think I'm the only one. I'm the only one that struggles. Let me just remind you of something. We're all sexually broken. Every one of us in our past, our choices, our present, temptations, whatever, we all have urges that go opposite of what God's wanting us to do. Okay, we all do. And so there is hope and help for you. So reach out to us. I've put this on your outline. You can see it here. You know, silverdellebc.com slash support groups. We've got counselors that would be glad to help you. We've got support groups that you can walk through together. But listen, you don't have to do this on your own. Christ wants to help you through this. Now, let me just close with this. I know that because of sexual sin, and it's so, we feel so guilt with it, that sometimes we think that, you know what? This is just too great. But let me remind you of something. There is more grace in Jesus than sin in you. Okay, let me say that again. There's more grace in Jesus than sin in you. There's more power in Jesus than sin in you. But you've gotta turn to him. You can't do this on your own. That's why the world can't, can't overcome this. But if you're a child of God, he's given you his strength. Turn to him, amen? Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we confess it's hard to hear. It's hard for me to say. But God, you bring liberty to the captives. You want to set your children free with your power and your grace. And so would you please do that even today in this very moment. God, you know my brothers and sisters, and I pray, Lord, that they would see that this is no longer their identity. Their identity is in Jesus Christ. And so wash them, sanctify them, justify them in the name of you, Lord Jesus, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale. And we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.